All right, so these are the verses I've been given, and if they're wrong, we blame Wendy. <laughs> so the first verse is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 5. I didn't put a dash there. It looks like 45. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And the second verse is 1 John, not John, 1 John 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. <laughs> now, I was going to introduce our new series, but Pastor Chris so kindly did that for me. I think it's wonderful that we had both Bryn and Tanya up here praying together because that really is a value that we want to talk about in this series. I have two chairs up here because I'm going to call Christy Thomas up and we're going to do a little bit of an interview together. And then the reason why we're going to do that is um, we're going to talk about the gift of being a multi-generational church. Um, some, some great facts about Christy. We got the, the privilege of working together when she was a director of children's ministry here at Bethel. And I love watching Christy teach kids because she's so passionate about it. And there is nothing better than being around people who are passionate about Jesus Christ. Uh, Christy has a blog, Little, uh, Little Shoots Deep Roots. Christy is the author of five books. One of them is a beautiful devotional that I like to give to families when they start having children because it's a beautiful way of incorporating your faith right into your family using devotions. Now, I'm not throwing Christy softballs today. Uh, when I sent her the questions, she did sort of say to me, wow, those are hard. That wasn't my intent, but my intent is to start us all thinking about these questions. Thank you for being my guinea pig, Christy. I love you. No problem. Thanks for giving me advance notice on these very hard questions. <laughs> now, I asked Christy this. If I asked you, what is obedient love? How would you define it? And what would you say an act of obedient love was for you? Let's start with the hardest question. Thanks. <laughs> what is obedient love? Maybe you guys can define that. So <clears throat> I have notes here so that I don't ramble. Because when I was thinking about this, my brain went all over the place. But I think it's two connected things. Obedient love is obedience that comes from love for God. But it's also these loving acts that come out of obedience to God. But that's really the same thing. Because it comes down to the fact that we show love and obedience to God by loving our neighbors. So I would define it by saying obedient love is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm cheating because that's from the Bible. <laughs> so beautifully answered. Why is it important to you to share God's love, God's story with kids? Oh, I just realized I never actually answered your other question. You had two questions in one. Do you want the answer to the second half of your question? For sure. <laughs> okay. So you asked some examples of obedient love. Um, so just I'm going to preface this by saying that um, there are many times that I haven't acted in obedient love. There are many times that... I've said no, or haven't recognized what I was supposed to do, but there have been some wild times when I, like when I donated a kidney to a stranger, or quit my comfortable job here at the church to work from home and write books for kids, which isn't exactly a, a financially smart move, and then a year after that, I sacrificed my kid-free time 
to homeschool my kids, which is an even less financially smart move. Uh, but God has cared for us through that. And those are like big, dramatic, life-changing examples. But obedient love happens in the small everyday moments too, like when God asked me to forgive my child instead of resenting him for his bad attitude, or when he asked me to sacrifice some time alone to talk on the phone with a friend who's hurting. Those are all acts of obedient love, and I can't say that I'm always doing it. <laughs> there are times when I want to just be angry with my kids, or times when I don't answer the phone, but there are times when I have, and I'm always blessed when I do. So what is it about teaching kids about Jesus? Well, God is amazing, in my opinion. <laughs> and I want kids to know how good and trustworthy he is. And I think that we're always passing on our values to our kids, whether we are intentionally doing it or not. So why not pass down something that is amazing and life-giving, like a relationship with God? So we, get, we, had, we have to do it intentionally because it's one of those things that can easily slip through the cracks. But it is important, and so I want to make sure that we do it on purpose. So when you check out Christy's um, blog site, you'll see some of her devotions are specifically geared to sharing your faith with your children, which is why I asked her that question. <laughs> Christy, how would you say God's love for you has shaped your life? That's a good question because I, so I've been a Christian since I was like four or five, and sometimes you don't really notice those things in your life for a long time. Uh, I've always kind of had like the sense up here that, you know, I know God loves me. I grew up singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. But several years ago, I was at this retreat center and had this really powerful experience. And I uh, may or may not cry because <laughs> it's not something that I don't usually talk about. But um, so I was sitting by myself. It was one of those moments where you kind of actually get to be by yourself at the retreat. And I was just singing really quietly that song. You know, I don't know if you know this one. It goes, you are the air I breathe. You are the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. You are my daily bread. You are my daily bread. Your holy, or your very word spoken to me. And I was sitting there singing along. And I got to the chorus, which says, I'm desperate for you. And I'm lost without you. And I heard a man singing with me. And I was like, who dares interrupt this time. Oh, God, I make you laugh instead of cry. Good. <laughs> and I was so annoyed, and I realized there is nobody else around. Who is this? And I started again, and the man started singing again, and I suddenly just had this incredible feeling. This is Jesus singing this back to me. I am desperate for you, and I'm lost without you. And I thought, the ultimate hubris that Jesus would say to me, I'm lost without you. And that, isn't that basically what he said when he came down as a human and was willing to die for us? That I'm desperate for you. And it just, it rattled me. <laughs> and I realized how deeply I was loved. Incredibly deeply. Um, it reminds me of John in the Bible, and he talks about himself being the disciple that Jesus loved. He knew how much Jesus loved him and identified himself as such. And I don't know, how can you not respond to a love like that? I, <laughs> how could it not shape you? I guess you could move through life and say, dismiss that as, well, I was just having like a little crazy moment there. But it wasn't. It was really, it was really good. Thank so. you, Christy. That is beautiful. That's all the questions that I have for Christy. I thank you for joining me. You're welcome. I'm going downstairs now. See you later. Thank you. <laughs> now, I did not 
prep Christy on what to say. But I find it amazing that when you pray that God brings a service together, he preps the people for you. Because what she said about sharing her testimony is why there are cards in front of you. We aren't going to fill them out right now. There's going to be space at the end of the service, and there's going to be specific questions that I'm going to ask. The reason why we're going to fill out those cards, and this is a, I know it's an uncomfortable thing, and I'm sort of sorry, but not really. <laughs> it's an uncomfortable thing because it pushes us out of our space and makes us talk about Jesus in a really real way, doesn't it? But that's what we want. We want our stories to be plastered up all around the sanctuary because our stories give glory to God and our stories embolden others to share their story. And we want our kids to have their story up there. We want to walk around the sanctuary and read these stories together as all different ages. And that is the, that is the whole reason behind this sermon series with all right, so let's get into this, this uh, Bible verse that we've chosen for today. We're going to be discussing um, in our passages from Deuteronomy and 1 John who God is and how the understanding of who he is informs our faith and how that transforms us and changes us as we go out into the world. What is the greatest love and what do we do with that greatest love? Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Verse 4 is called the Shema, from the Hebrew word translated here. This statement in this verse is the basic confession of faith in Judaism. Is it up there? Not yet. It's coming. Kathy and I had to learn Hebrew, so I'm sorry. You are going to see a Hebrew word on that screen. There it is. That is the word Shema. The first word of this, this verse is the word here, or Shema. And that is why the prayer is called the Shema. Now, in the Samuel series, you might recall that Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears, your servant Shema's. This is the type of listening that we are talking about today. The Shema is a call of obedience to God. Every morning and every evening, the Jewish people will recite these verses, along with some other verses that are an expression of their devotion to God. Now, before you just dismiss this word as here, as in there are sound waves hitting my ear, there's more to it. Shema can also mean pay attention, focus on. It also means respond to what you hear. Many of the Psalms contain the word listen, which is actually a call from God for us to act. Psalm 17, verse 1, hear me, Lord, listen to my cry, hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. When you go through the Psalms, you're going to hear the hear me a lot, and it is a plea for God to act. But here's the thing. We're not only calling God to act. God is calling us to act. When the Israelites come to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, verse 5, 
God says, if you shema, if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. From God's point of view, listening is just one part of the covenant. It is listen and obey. There are no separate words in Hebrew for listening and doing. In Hebrew, it is the same word. Listening is giving respect to the person who is talking and doing what they say. Real listening is action and effort. So let's look at verse 4 again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So now we know that listening, Shema, is not just listening, but it's also obeying. But we're being told in the second part of this verse that the Lord, or Yahweh, is totally unique. He alone is God. The Israelites are surrounded by neighbors that worshipped a pantheon of gods. And all of these gods were fickle. You couldn't count on them. If you were trying to please one god, you were probably making another god very angry with you. So they were always worried about suffering the wrath of the gods. But then we have this Hebrew nation with their the one and only God. And they are lifted out of the insecurity about worrying about whether or not they've pleased the gods because they have one God. And he is loyal and faithful and true and he's not fickle. He doesn't change with the tides. That is our God. He is the living and true God. And this first commandment is a commandment of God's law that we love him and that we obey him because when we love him with all of our heart, that changes who we are. And then obedience isn't a big deal, is it? When you love someone, you want to please them. You want to do what is right. The second part of that verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What does that kind of love look like? This command means that we are choosing God for an intimate relationship, just us and him, and we're going to obey his commands. The command to love him is given often in Deuteronomy They're talking to you about loving him with your whole heart. That means wholeheartedly with everything in you. And that it should pervade every part of your being, your soul, your strength. Obedience to the Lord equals life. Obedience to the commands is an outgrowth of our love for him. And this obedience can only increase when we realize how much he loves us. I love it that Christy referenced that in her, in, her, in her comments. The command to love God, to listen to him, Shema, that calls for radical obedience. One where we devote ourselves, our whole way of life to God, our heart, our soul, our strength. It's a way of saying the whole person. The biblical idea of heart covers our ideas of will and mind. So when Jesus talks about this again in slightly different words in Matthew and Mark, he's still saying the same thing. True godliness means that all of our abilities, all the things we possess, everything that is us, we give it to God. Now because we're individuals, that means how we worship and how we give wholeheartedly will look different. Uh, Some of us are coming from a place of brokenness. 
And so wholehearted devotion looks a little bit different because it takes on the cast of that broken heart. If you're in a season of rest, again, obedience looks a little bit different. It actually kind of reminds me of some of the ministries that are here at Bethel. You can have a passion for things, but we all have different passions and it all works out differently. The person who's passionate about children looks differently than the person who's uh, passionate about worship or um, passionate about the, the books and the resources that are in that the, the library team takes care of. It's all different loves, but it's all expressed for the glory of God. We're reminded about this command in several portions of Scripture, and I, I didn't have them put up, but we can find these same commands in Leviticus 19, in Joshua 22, Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 10. This, this command is a common thread throughout the Bible. So my question to myself was, what can distract us from loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength? Augustine speaks of disordered loves. Disordered loves are loves that are out of order. A love that should be lower on our list, that's given more precedence, or a love that shouldn't even be on our list at all, that has a high ranking. Now, just to be a little humorous about it, I can say that I have a disordered love for chocolate, or a disordered love for a really good cup of coffee. But to be a little bit more serious, um, sometimes when you, when you scroll through your phone and you, you catch those video clips and then there's another one and another one and another one, my husband Melvin calls them cat videos. I'm not watching cats, <laughs> Melvin. But that is definitely a disordered love. I spend too much time on my phone and it's taking up time that I could be reading my devotions. It is a disordered love. Once we bring those disordered loves to God's attention, he can help us resolve that and take better care of making sure what was high on the list, flipping through my phone, either goes lower on the list or is removed. In our day, conventional wisdom says that when it comes to values, when it comes to what matters, when it comes to meaning and goodness, you've got to think for yourself. This is the conventional wisdom among some really smart people. William Williman gave a great presentation on this recently, and he noticed that last year, the president of Yale welcomed incoming freshmen with these words. Now, when, we say, when I say these words, you have to think in contrast to the Israelites who are saying, um, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and this is what they are teaching their children. So now we have this president of Yale saying this to the kids that are coming in. He says, we cannot supply you with a philosophy of education any more than we can supply you with a philosophy of life. This has got to come from you, from your own active learning, your own choices, your own decisions. Think for yourself. Now, when it comes to history, if you say Columbus discovered America in 1805, we're going to impose our beliefs on you because we believe there's knowledge about that. When it comes to physics, if you say E equals MC cubed, we will impose our beliefs on you because we believe there is knowledge there. When it comes to values, wisdom, goodness, what is right, good luck, think for yourself. 
In other words, William Williamson says, the university has absolutely no clue what you're supposed to be doing there. We have a smorgasbord of courses. We have a great buffet line of faculty. Whether that adds up to something called wisdom by the time you graduate, we have no idea. Think for yourself. Wow, think for yourself? Those are false words because that is a disordered love. That is saying what you think is higher than what God says. So here, O Bethel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What disordered loves are taking precedence in our lives? And how do we keep love from being disordered? Are we more concerned with how people think we are and what we look like and how we act? I struggle with that one. Are we more concerned with our own comfort? Are we more concerned with what the world is saying rather than what the Bible is saying? Think for yourself versus love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength. Are we bowing down to culture? And here's what I thought when I thought of that question. Isn't that like the Israelites being surrounded by nations that were, were worshiping other gods, all these many gods? Is, is that what we're doing in our culture? Are we worshiping other gods and calling them culture? God loves us. He sent his son as proof of that. Obedience to God is an outgrowth of our love for him. In his best-selling book, Five Love Languages, Gary Chapman writes about various love languages uh, which people use to communicate love. He suggests there is a distinct personal way every person gives or receives love. Words of affirmation, physical affection, gift-giving, service, and time are various ways we can give love and receive love. His argument is that to have a healthy relationship, you need to know what your partner's love language is. So then my question for us is, what is God's love language? God communicates his love in a very clear and definitive way. John 3:16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would never die, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And later on in 1 John 4, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we would live through him. Isn't that a great answer? God showed his love for us at the great cost of his own son. And then we have the verse that Ella read for us in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. God communicated his love to the world by sending his only son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. How do we communicate our love to God? An outflow of our love for God is how we act and behave and treat one another, this obedience. He showed us what it looks like, and now we get to model that back. So how do we keep our love from being disordered? You know what, it's, it's actually simple. You just need to saturate your life with the words that are in this book. 
when you get up in the morning, when you lay down at night, when you're with family, when you're by yourself, when you're desperate, when you're happy. These are the words of life. We need to get in the word because the key to God's blessings are all found right in here. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of Great Britain, once referenced what he called the counterintuitive phenomenon of the Jewish people. A phenomenon that applies to us as well. So, so please listen, listen carefully to what he's saying. When it's hard to be a Jew, Sachs wrote, people stayed Jewish. When it was easy to be a Jew, people stopped being Jewish. Globally, this is a major Jewish problem of our time. And I thought, well, Mr. Sachs, that's all of our problem, isn't it? Are we forgetting our first love? Are we loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and strength? So the good news is this. God is still good. God is still faithful. He's still a covenant-keeping God. So if you need to be reminded of that, you can hear it here. Do you need to be reminded that when we are unfaithful, He is faithful. When our love is wobbly and weak, his love is the same. He is loyal and steadfast. So this is wisdom. Live your one and only life in such a way that when it comes to the end, because it eventually will, when we talk with God, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. This is wisdom from the moment you wake up in the morning until you go to bed at night. You love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You love the people that he puts in your way. And you walk through the day knowing that that is wisdom. That is wisdom from God. So I want us to take a little bit of time before we end to reflect on how God has loved us. How has God loved you? How has his story impacted your story? How is he speaking to you now? So this is that uncomfortable part where I ask you to take out the index cards in front of you. And if there aren't enough cards, um, Hans Heisinger has a whole stack of them. So if you need another card, just raise your hand and he'll find you. This is a challenge. I'm sort of sorry to make you uncomfortable, but not really. <laughs> Share your story with someone who doesn't know it. Share your story with someone you don't know well at all or someone that hasn't heard the key part. And our hope is that we are going to share more and more of our testimonies and our stories together. Because when we share our story, we are reminded of God's goodness. But even more so, we show somebody else what God's goodness looks like in our lives. His love for us is the greatest love. And that is a love that transforms and changes lives. So these are the questions I'm going to ask you to reflect on and write. Uh, you might not have room for both. You might have a short answer. You might have a long answer. You do not have to put your name on it. But I do ask 
that you try to fill something out and that there's baskets at the end of each pew um, section. If you could just leave your cards there, that would be wonderful. The two questions that I would ask are these. What would you say an act of obedient love was for you? And the next question is, how would you say God's love for you has shaped your life? We'll just take a few moments. Please feel free to continue to write. Hear, O Bethel, the Lord our God is one. 
would you pray with me? God, it is stunning to imagine that you loved a wretched people such as us enough to send your only son to die for us. What an act of love. Oh, Father, thank you. In the many ways, Lord, that we have wandered away from you or we have chosen other loves in place of you, would you open our eyes to that, Lord, so we could order our love appropriately? You ask us to love you first, Father. Help us put you on the top of that list. Help us to be shaped by your love for us, Lord. Help us to be transformed. Renew our minds, Lord. That everything in our lives would be given to you. Not only as an act of obedience, but an act of love. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Would you bless us as we continue to worship? In your holy and precious name we pray.